George Kirkpatrick, inspiration for the nation celebrating people we feel good about. Dr. Ofrana Reed is the chief medical officer at Syracuse Community Health. We invited him on the program to help us to understand what is happening with COVID right now. We are hearing, we are seeing uh, COVID rates, maybe anecdotally in my opinion, rise. It seems like more people are getting it. People who have already been vaccinated are getting it. And so what's the deal here in Onondaga County? Uh, Dr. Frana, what can you tell us? So I don't have the details of Onondaga County per se. I do have details regarding the United States and Northeast uh, in regards to um, the coronavirus. Currently, there is a new strain out. It's called the XBB.1.5. It's a subvariant of the Omicron. Um, and so what's happening now, there's about 26 point about 26% of cases in the United States are actually uh, this new variant. Um, in Northeast, 70% of the cases are this new variant. And this new variant, um, sadly so, doesn't matter how many times you've been vaccinated, uh, how many times you have COVID, you can still get COVID again from this new variant. It's very, very transmittable. And it's interesting you say that because um, it's a variant of the Omicron, you say, right? Yes. It's a sub-variant. Sub variant. All right, so that means there's other strains that are still out here and present. Yes. So if you, if you remember, we started off with the alpha. It was dominant. And then beta was very very minimal. And then the delta took over. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you get to the Omicron. Uh, and then and the Omicron has multiple sub-variants. It was the B4, the B5. Now they have the XBB 1.5. And and none of the and, and right now we're at like fourth booster, right? And so even if you've had like so I had a booster and then a second booster. I had two shots plus a booster and then another booster, and I'm still um at risk. So um I noticed that some of we're we've sort of relaxed. We're kind of in this in-between um place where, you know, like in one of my places that I work, everybody we still have a mask mandate if you will like in the workplace but most every place else i go we don't have a mass mandate so it's kind of it's kind of a mixed message covid is still dangerous and what should we be doing so to your point um in the health care setting you know masks are mandated mm-hmm. and if i was to walk to walmart or price shopper you know everyone is maskless and so i'm still exposing myself to uh, any type of virus when I go back to work. And so the best really thing to do is really um, is hand, hand hygiene, hand um, hygiene, you know, wearing a mask, um, but making sure you, you really wash your hands and you touch things and, uh, you, know, um, you know, be mindful that viruses, not just COVID, but other viruses are also, um, like RSV, uh, is also taking present at this time uh, of, of the year. But the key word, the key is going to be hand hygiene and in a healthcare setting, it's proper uh, protective equipment. Yeah, yeah, and the prevention is the key. Is there still vaccine? So, with this, with that being said, how do you combat vaccine hesitancy, particularly in uh, communities of color, the black community? I think explain to them that the vaccine does not mean you won't get COVID, but the difference is that it will decrease severity of illness. Now, we know from COVID that prior to the vaccine, you've seen an increase in death. Uh, especially in the African-American patient population uh, with, you know, risk factors such as diabetes, hypertension, um, things of those sorts. But it's very, I'm very clear, it's very evident that the vaccine will prevent you from having severe illness and death. 
So you may get COVID, but it'll be a mild form of the COVID. So those who are who are without the vaccine are at risk for death or severe illness. Yeah, and, and Doc, we are still seeing people who have vaccine hesitancy, unfortunately, are losing their lives. And that's certainly sad and preventable. Obviously, we've seen very high profile cases of people who refuse to do it. And there are people who, for various re religious reasons, reasons, I know that uh, there are certain religious groups that uh, have indicated that they're not going to, they've been advised not to, to, to vaccinate up. And that can have a, a serious impact on our community. What do we say to folks who still believe that it's not something that they want to do? Well, as a, as a Christian myself, I'm a born-again Christian myself, and I'm a physician. And the, the truth really is, is that the vaccine will prevent severe illness and death. Um, I can't be any more clear about this. Mm -hmm. um, th there are some patients who, uh, or some patients or people who are very low risk, and I may have a different conversation with that person because they're not really a high risk. But there's a patient population that is a high risk for severe illness, and it's very, very clear looking not only in the United States, you could look in Italy, you could look in China, you could look in different countries, and that patient population all did not do well. So it's very clear for the patient, for um, at least the black you know, community to understand that if you are a high risk patient, um, that the vaccine will pre prevent you from having severe illness or death. Can you talk about what the risk, high risk populations are? I'm thinking that if you have, you know, like a caprizixing condition, whether it's a, a, a compromised immune system, uh, I'm thinking if you're diabetic, if you've got some other sort of compromised immune system, what are some of the factors that, and age, right? I'm thinking also yep. uh, age is a factor. So what are some of the other, other than those that I mentioned, uh, that are risk factors for COVID? Obesity is a big one. Mm -hmm. COPD. So patients who have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease from you know, tobacco use. There are many pa patients walking around, especially in our community, who are undiagnosed. They have not been diagnosed with COPD because they don't even know they have COPD. And that's a high risk. Obesity is another one. Um, any immunocompromised states, such as those who have malignancies or uh, cancers, you want to um, use that word better, uh, cancers, uh, considered high risk patients, population. And um, can you explain COPD a little bit more? Yes. So COPD is what we call chronic pulmonary um, disease, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and it's bronchitis and it's emphysema. What's commonly what we see is emphysema in patients who smoke. What happens is that we have these, um, it's called alveoli, and they open and close, open and close. And when you lose the elasticity of the alveoli and become very stiff, you can't exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. So you retain CO2, which causes you to have breathing problems. But once you damage those alveoli, it's irreversible. So mm. the sooner you stop, you see some smoking, the better chance you have from um, getting severe COPD. And what about the impact of long COVID? So maybe somebody had COVID and you're still having uh, some of the symptoms of COVID. Now, I, I'll disclose to this audience, I did have a positive test back in March of 2021, but I immediately, someone said, you know, you can get, uh, at that, by that time they had, uh, you could get a, a hormone, not hormone, uh, antibody, excuse me, yeah. and, and, antibody 
uh, Chibin, I immediately did that. Uh, and then some others can, I guess they have pills now or something. You can do a pill regimen or something like that. Um, but uh, I don't appear uh, to have any lasting or long COVID effects to my knowledge, right? But how do you know if you've had, if you're having, um, you have had long COVID? I think um, from looking at the studies, most people with long COVID present with signs and symptoms that they didn't have prior to COVID. So some people have, which is very common, brain fog, um, a chronic cough. Uh, it could last weeks to months to years, as, as, you, as you see, because people still have the same symptoms. So it's really what people are presenting with that they didn't have prior to COVID. And it's, these signs and symptoms remain constant, persistent. And that's what they call them log haulers. What, what, can you describe what brain fog is? But brain fog is almost like when you have these memory lapses. Mm -hmm. um, you can't really, you have something in your mind, you can't remember what you're going to say, or you're doing something, and you have this, like, this, it's like foggy. You, you don't really recall what you were going to do. And it's, it happens frequently, um, and it's kind of like you, you have problems thinking. And so everyone presents differently, but a lot of times it's usually like almost like memory impairment. Mm. And, and that was just something to think about. So um, are, do you wear masks? You said you when you go to the... Uh, the super center. Do you wear a mask when you go to the store? No. Uh huh. And and you don't. Uh, but do you recommend people who are highly compromised do? I do. I do. And I say this because these studies have been out with with the surgical mask versus N95 mask, and we know that surgical mask is not 100% protective. That's 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 very obvious, right? However, if you think about this, when we COVID came out, um, and it was rampant. Flu was actually non-existent. Right. Right. And the only thing I could think about was that, well, I was wearing a mask. Now, one of the things that New York State requires, Department of Health, is that if you decide not to get the flu shot, then you should wear a mask, you know, from from um, August to May with the flu season. So I, for some reason, I feel that the mask made a difference with the flu during the flu season last year. So... I do recommend wearing a flu for those patients who are highly immunocompromised or high risk. And do you still recommend the vaccine? Well, right now I would say no, only because the XBB 1.5, um, the bivalent doesn't cover that that that, um, that um, variant, as far as I know. Um, it's, it's highly infectious, and there's no protection for it right now. So oh. getting the bivalent vaccine. Let the data prove otherwise. Um, but I haven't seen any data yet to prove that the new bivalent covers protects you from the XBB 1.5. But so let's be clear: are there others? But are the other strains still out there, or is this the strain that's predominant now? So just so that we're clear. Yeah. So right now in the United States, 27% of the cases are coming from the XBB 1.5. However, in the Northeast. 70% of the cases, 7-0, are coming from the XBB 1.5. Mm. So with that being said, the best protection is pre prevention, even if the vaccine may not help for this particular variant. Exactly. Until they come out with something where, so basically we've got to just stay close or stay, pay attention, uh, check with our health provider to make sure that, yeah, make sure yeah. that, go ahead. What I will say to you that, because I want to just follow with that question you asked me about the vaccine, if we start seeing a rise in severe illness, hospitalizations, and death, and they come out with a vaccine for that covers the XBB 1.5, then I would say to you, yes, for those patient populations who are high risk, 
I recommend a vaccine that protects them from this new variant. Mm-hmm. Let me make sure I add that piece in there. Right. I mean, I know that's very, very important. Um, you know, in terms of healthcare, I mean, I think I'm always concerned about how our community, which always appears to be um, higher risk for everything, right? And so I just want to make sure that we're giving them what they need to know uh, to protect themselves and 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 be able to uh, to 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 avoid. Uh, what has been a real significant, which is something that's really had a significant impact on our community. Yes, I, I think it's something, something important to understand. You say that for education, understand that the majority of people who carry these viruses are asymptomatic. They have no symptoms. They're not coughing, they're not sneezing, they don't have a fever, they don't have a chill. So, you know, you, you got like 80% of the time patients have are asymptomatic. You know, yep. and so... The reason why I think to your point why I, I support proper PPE and masking and washing hands is because of that reason. The asymptomatic carriers, those are the ones you don't see, they're silent. And you don't even know it. You have no clue. You have no clue. All right. So give us some uh leave us with some advice. You know, I, I think that we have to um be careful of what we see on TV. I think we should look to the medical experts that have the data to support the direction. Um, rather than the politicians. Mm-hmm. Because I think that we, we get lost with the whole political aspect of it. And the best thing to really do is, is look at the science, look at the data, look at the studies, you know, coming from, from across the world, not just the United States, but look at the studies from China, from, from Italy and, and Europe. I think it's important for us to understand the data and then for us, you know, um, physicians to give their data back to the community so they know what's going on based on the data, proven data. Right. Dr. Fran Reed. Chief Medical Officer at Syracuse Community Health, a great partner with Inspiration for the Nation. And Dr. Reed, by the way, can you just uh, give our audience a clue about your education? Because you got a lot of letters behind your name, bro. Oh, yeah. So I went to medical school, uh, graduated from Washington University School of Medicine. Um, then I went to Cornell University in um, Ithaca. I got my MBA. And then I went to Wild Cornell in New York City. And I got my master's in healthcare leadership. All right. So, so. You got a few things going on and uh, yeah. go big red. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, Cornell alumni in our family as well. So good for you. All right, Dr. Franeri, Chief Medical Officer at Syracuse Community Health. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate you. Thank you.